This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash ferment. Hello and welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Azette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this journey of all things fermenting. Found right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and all places Today is episode 249. Uh, it's our return to Fun About It. This is our second episode uh, since the pandemic started. And our second episode since April 4th of 2019. We're really excited to be coming back. Uh, and starting all this stuff, one thing, uh, the good, the light in the darkness is uh, that we've kind of rekindled uh, our love of fermentation and had some time and some bandwidth to be fermenting at home. And uh, we're excited to talk about how, uh, where that, where that leads today. Also, uh, we are able to do this because one of the things that Kuzmi did early on in uh, pandemic is he got, he basically built us a home studio. <laughs> so we are in our, our apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, recording this and it's pretty cool. It there's does some, sound really good. There's some back there's some back stories on this. I mean I used <laughs> to have a home studio before I let you move in. I mean I mean before I welcomed you into <laughs> yeah, my home. So. I love you so much. It's so glad <laughs> you're here. Before I turned my that bedroom into a uh, kind of storage place for all the stuff. But anyway, they, we're I'm rekindling my my home studio life and playing a lot of saxophone and sampling with some other stuff uh, for a band that's loud, but that also got us to a place where we can get some decent sound. Uh, for our podcast for men about it mm-hmm. and for men cool so let's talk about what what we've done what's happened since the last episode <clears throat> what has happened since the last episode well we talked about the pickles that i had and the pickles are tasting really great they're crisped up i had stopped them from fermenting any further and i threw them into the refrigerator uh i would say that for this one so we only put that fresh dill that we talked about in into it uh a couple of bay leaves and garlic and a, and a chili pepper i Flavor-wise, I would pop another few chili peppers in there. I like higher heat. Um, I didn't use any other typical pickling spices. I didn't use any any coriander or mustard seed because um, I kind of wanted to focus on the dill, the garlic, and the zing of the lactic acid. Uh, and I think I would like it. I would like more more pep in the step. I'd, I'd have spiced it more. Yeah. Even though I like them lovely, simple, but I'm digging pickles. Me too. <laughs> I want to, yeah, I'm going to, I want to make a relish too with your, with your, but that's for another day. Uh, so I did get my fermented chili paste with my mixed hot peppers. And, uh, so that is starting. I'm going to check it. It, it is, it is, uh, in a dark place and I will check on it again in three weeks. Oops. I forgot. I got to add a calendar reminder because I can't ever remember these things. And hey, quarantine days have pandemic days, like have no time. So. Um, the other thing I've been playing with, so I got obsessed with pralines, like the candy that have pecans and sugar and a little bit of cream. I think you can use sweetened condensed milk too. Um, and I've been making them in the microwave, these cheater pralines, but they're really good. I made a dark chocolate um, version, but I wanted to uh, bring miso into it. So I made my yeah, first man. batch of miso pralines the other day. I used this black miso. I don't know what it's called. 
that Ken gave us. Um, Ken but, Fornatero. Yeah, Ken Fornatero. It's really good. It's super earthy and very, very um, dank. I, I guess I would call it dank to a degree. Anyway, it has a ton of flavor. So I, I used that. I didn't. Um, I loved it. It was delicious. Yeah, but I want to, I'm going to play with, we also, we have a, several kinds of miso in the fridge right now. And uh, I want to play, I didn't, I just added the miso in there and then cooked the whole thing together. But I'm actually going to infuse the cream with the miso the next batch, which I'll probably either do today or tomorrow, you know, in the next few days, I guess. Um, but that's been pretty fun. And I'll share that recipe when I, when I perfect it. What do you think one of the challenges of, I know it's not, of, of, of making praline? Well, the real pralines are cheater pralines. The cheater pralines. Like what? Because it's, so real, it's a little more sensitive, right? To- no, but you should really. Okay. So my grandma um, made candy. And so I kind of learned to make candy when I was little. And I've always had like a, I don't know. I, I've made candy many times in my life. And you really should just do it the old fashioned way and use a candy thermometer. There are ways you can do it without doing a candy thermometer. The, the, micro, the cheater microwave way, you're just totally guessing on timing. So actually the last batch of pralines came out a little bit more like this is uh, why I'm bringing it up praline yeah. brittle and not true you know pecan brittle not true pralines um but yeah that's a thing it's just not using a candy thermometer but pralines are really relatively easy but, so, and it doesn't matter look honestly like they're still going to taste good as long as you don't go too far and burn them or or make them so hard that they're absolutely inedible although right. they'd still be good you could make them in you know do an ice cream uh but that difference in timing is going to affect the texture oh yeah for it's, sure, it's yeah. basically how hard yeah, it's gonna end up in the end, and yeah. I like I love peanut brittle. I love brittle, so I didn't mind that. Yeah, you were you were bad. So miso pecan far, brittle is the it. other thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Either way, it's win win. Yeah, like, you like uh, yeah, praline or or brittle. Yeah, but that's been pretty fun. And then this week, I think I got a lot of asparagus. Um, so I'm gonna ferment some of that asparagus. So I'm gonna look at that later today too. I have part of the day home, um, so I can get. Yeah, I've got some other veggies too you know, blanch or freeze or ferment that need to be done something with, which we're going to talk a little bit more, but let's introduce, let's bring our guest. This yeah. is the appropriate time to bring our guest on because she can help me with all of these things. What? Mm-hmm. There's a one person you could go to <laughs> to find out how to ferment all these wonderful, lovely things in the home of your small apartment in Brooklyn or name anywhere you live on planet earth, maybe universe, yeah. depending environmental situations and guests. Fermenting on other planets. That could be a whole fictitious episode if we wanted to do a spoof. Anyway, let's bring our guest on. It is Cheryl Passwater, our good friend and fermentationist extraordinaire. Hey, Cheryl. Hello. How are you guys? Pretty good. Fantastic. <laughs> Getting fermented. Yes. <laughs> We're back. Uh, yeah. So, hell yeah. I, uh, I actually, at the beginning of this, so we. We talked about this last week, but Kuzmi and I are working full time. Um, but they, I did actually have a few days off. Uh, I think I had like six days off at the beginning, kind of towards the beginning of this when we got our to go, the fifth hammer to go room settled and, and moving. Um, and I haven't, I have a couple days off here and there now, but I'm still working full time. But one of the things I got really into when this whole thing first started is all these online cooking classes. I love cooking classes. I've taken cooking classes in person. I find even if it's something that you, kind of know how to do, you're always going to be inspired and learn new tips and tricks. And there's a lot of dishes that I don't have much experience with, um, especially if you're, you know, we're talking a lot of uh, foods that are made around the world that I, I didn't grow up with, that I'm not as familiar with making, that I love to eat, but I don't have any experience in. 
So I took a bunch of online classes and one of the online classes was a fermented nut cheese class with Cheryl. And it was absolutely great. It was given through the Brooklyn Granary. Brainery. I was super inspired. And Cheryl is teaching a bunch of those. So that was really great to talk to Cheryl and, and ha- be able to take an online class. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about you're still doing the online classes. I think they're great, especially because one of the great things is that not only, you know, you don't have to be in New York City to take them. You can take them from anywhere around the world. And that was the cool thing that I saw in my online classes is that people from we had people join us from New Zealand, from Europe, from all over the place. And we're all able to share this experience of making something together in our kitchens all around the world and learning something new. And, and you know, and a lot of times you would, you know, taste, you would have kind of a, an online virtual meal or, or snack fest afterward. And it's super cool. So anyway, I think that's awesome that you're doing that, Cheryl, and you're doing a bunch of neat classes, which we're going to talk to talk about. So what else have you been up to in quarantine? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Lots of teaching. <laughs> I know I have a tendency to really ramble these days. It's true. <laughs> well, you know, what's so funny is like, I know people who either they're bored to death or there are people like me who seem to be working all the time. It's like, um, such a weird, I, I mean, I worked hard before COVID, but Man, I just feel like all I'm doing is working these days. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of workshops, obviously. Um, I've been, um, I'm going to be teaching at the TED Talks conference coming up. So I've been working on preparing for that, cool. which is a pretty, um, very exciting, yeah, um, thing. Um, I've been teaching at some fermentation festivals online, the Florida Fermentation Festival, um, Ken Fortuna, who you guys mentioned earlier, um, is doing just did a little sort of online festival with cultures group. So I was doing that. Um, I did a preserving abundance festival out of Atlanta, Georgia online. Um, so I've been doing that. I've been getting ready for, um, I'm keynote speaking, um, this summer for a couple fermentation festivals that, you know, I think yet to be seen if that's going online or going to be in person, but you know, working on my, my keynote speeches. So I've been doing a lot of that stuff, inventing a lot of new like recipes, you know, I mean, I've had some nice time to play around with ingredients and, you know, hacking the system, you know, adjusting workshops and, you know, doing some recipe editing and, you know, a lot of, a lot of workshops, you know, it's been really, I mean, amazing. You know, we've been teaching, I would say on the average between four and seven fermentation workshops a week right now, which is a lot of, a lot of workshops and a lot of teaching, but, um, you know, like Mary said, you know, people from all over the world, it's been really fun having students from Scotland and New Zealand and Arizona and South America and all over the United States and London and, um, you know, having getting emails from people who are like, oh my, or Instagram messages where people are like, oh my gosh, we've always wanted to take a class with you. We've never been able to, and now we can. So, um, I think that's been really, you know, really fun. And, you know, what a great, yeah. And what a great time for fermentation, especially, um, people can find all this out on contramandferments.com, right? All the places you are. So. Um, yeah, yeah. We've been posting workshops like every, you know, about one or two weeks at a time. And, um, you know, we're super behind on our blog, but we are, you know, answering emails, answering questions, you know, um, you know, encouraging people to ferment and get out there. We're helping to supply some ferments for, um, some local community things in our neighborhood and neighbor, um, neighboring neighborhoods. Um, so bringing ferments to, you know, 
people who are having facing food insecurities right now. Um, we're hoping to do more work with that um, sort of going forward and going into the summer. You know, selling ferments to neighbors and random people. Yeah. Who, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. So we have you know more than enough ferments uh, sitting around right now. That's for sure. What's been one of your favorite like new recipes or recipe you know recipe fermentation hacks that you've done recently? Oh, what have I been really into? Um, well, I took a, I took, I, I sat in on Kirsten Shockey's uh, workshop at the Florida Fermentation Festival, which was um, actually collecting tree blossoms um, and using those as wild yeast. And you take them and ferment them in juice and you use those as a starter for making cider. Um, so that's been really exciting for me to sort of, um, you know, just a new way of doing it. And, you know, I've been getting into some cider making and I've been making a lot of vinegars, um, especially. Um, so I would say those are two things that I've been spending a lot of time on. Um, I've gotten much further and much deeper into um, aging vegan cheeses. Um, so that's been yeah. sort of a fun process to have a little bit more time to dabble with. And, you know, miso, as you know, is also a favorite um favorite ferments um, over here at Contraband Ferments. And um, so, you know, I've been doing some various miso exper experiments and a lot of Asian pickles and things like that. So, cool. you know. I want to I ask, so the online, you know, speaking of online fermentation um, festivals and other online classes, I know that most of the, the classes that I've taken through Brooklyn Brainery and also some a few other places, I took a class through League of Kitchens, there are, we're all either on, most of them are on Zoom, a few on the Google platform. What, uh, I think the F Florida Fermentation Festival was on Instagram Live, if I, if I remember. Correct. What, what, what's kind of your take? What do you recommend if people are looking at doing online, you know, giving online classes or taking them? What, what's your kind of take on the different platforms or the feedback or kind of how easy or how effective all of these online platforms are? Totally. Um, you know, I've done some things on, I try, I had a couple workshops, corporate workshops actually for companies and they only use um, an app called uh, Blue Jeans, which was okay, except for I can't see everybody, you know, there's no chat available. So it was like, okay. I mean, I prefer Zoom because also the way my um, my sort of station for teaching is set up, I actually can't totally reach my computer. And so, you know, that for me, the nice thing about Zoom is I can see what everybody's doing and, you know, there's a chat available. And so what I, what I do is I leave my chat open because I can see their questions and then I can read the questions, sort of answer to the group. Um, and yep. I found that to be very effective and, and helpful. And I can be hands-free because I'm got my hands and stuff. And, you know, other than that one night that I spilled hot sauce all over my laptop, I'm trying to like, <laughs> you know, not... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like avoid, destroy my technology. Um, so, um, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I found Zoom to be pretty fantastic. And, you know, it's like a pro account is, you know, like $15 a month and you can password protect it. And they just upgraded all of their security. So actually, um, you know, it's even more protected now than it was, you know, it was at like the beginning of COVID. I think Zoom is having some issues, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying that. I've been, um, playing with an app also called, um, Jump Rope and making sort of mini food videos that'll start going up online. 
um, here in the near future. And, you know, really like that. Um, you know, some people like TikTok and, you know, things for making sort of like short movie videos. Um, so, you know, even if you want alternatives to live teaching, um, those are two of the things that I like to use. Cool. So let's talk about your classes. Uh, well, first of all, I love the fermenting nut cheese class that you gave. And I would love if you would, could just take us through um, kind of the ferment, the basics of fermenting nut cheeses. I do see, wait, hang on, let me, I've got a bunch of, uh, your next fermented nut cheese class is online. It is Monday, June 8th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern time via Zoom. It is through brooklynbrainery.com. So I I would highly recommend it to everybody. The cool thing about the Brooklyn Brainery class is that they're, they're very affordable. So you can sign up for the class. This class is $16, which to me is absolutely invaluable. You can learn every, all everything about fermented nut cheeses. So I'd like to give, if you could just kind of like take us through the basics and hopefully inspire people to, to learn more and to want to start this and and sign up for your class and go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't recommend the Brooklyn Brainery enough. They've been our home hub for a really long time. Um, and they actually have two brick and mortar locations. So um, I was really happy that um, you know, we were able to move online with, you know, with the Brainery. Um, workshops have kept them going. They're keeping us going, um, which is amazing. Um, you know, and making them as affordable as we can, knowing that you know, some people have jobs, some people don't have jobs. There's a lot of things, you know, moving parts. Um, but yeah, fermented vegan cheeses, um, you know, I started making them because there was a big period of time where I was completely dairy free. And, you know, even now I'm a little bit on the lower dairy end of life. And my partner is, um, doesn't not do well with dairy at all. And so, um, you know, when I started making fermented vegan cheeses, you know, I was keeping it really simple. And even when I make hard cheeses now, they all sort of start from the same place, which is making a fermented soft cheese. Um, and how you do that is, you know, really simple. Um, you know, I usually tell people to, you know, um, choose whatever kind of nuts they want to use. Um, you know, cashews work really great. I like macadamia nuts a lot. Um, almonds work really well if you, if you soak them and sort of like pull the bitter skins off the outsides of the nuts. Um, and then, you know, it's really like, taking your your nuts, soaking them. And what soaking does is it starts the fermentation process, but also um, soaking our nuts, just like when we soak beans and grains, um, helps to break down the anti-nutrients that are sort of in the outer coating around the nuts. Um, so, you know, soaking them. And then, you know, what I do is I strain the liquid and throw them in a blender with some kind of um, some salt and then some kind of starter culture. Um, you know, you need something to sort of jumpstart the fermentation process. And so that could be, you know, breaking open the powder of some probiotic capsules. It could be using water kefir or rejuvalac, um, is another really great way. Um, you can start it with like kimchi and pickle brine, but then the cheese just tastes like kimchi and pickle brine. And I don't find that to be very of appealing, appealing flavor. So I like to use sort of a neutral, um, sort of tasting starter culture. Um, you know, if you wanted to, even though it has dairy, you could use whey, um, as a starter as well. Um, but yeah, adding a culture, blending everything up together into sort of a, thick kind of peanut butter toothpaste sort of consistency. And then, um, you know, throwing it into, um, you know, I like to put it all into like a nut milk bag and um, inside of like a colander. And then I like tie the nut milk bag. I put in the cheese and tie it up like to a spoon. So it's sort of like 
a nice tight sort of pouch. And what that does is it allows the water and the whey um, or sort of like this vegan way, I guess you could call it, that sort of develops to strain out. So you're allowing it to make kind of a thicker cheese. Um, and, you know, when you blend it, you can add a little bit of water as necessary. And the nice thing about that straining process is, you know, if you get a little too much water in your initial blending, it's going to allow it to drain out. Um, so I usually, you know, put it over a colander that's inside of a bowl, tie it up in that nut milk bag on a, you know, some kind of stick. And I usually kind of jam it in the side of my colander so it hangs. Um, you could alternatively like jam it in the side of like a cabinet. You know, you're gonna everybody's gonna hack something some way or another. And then I usually throw a hand towel over it and I let it ferment. And you can leave it for 24 to 48 hours and um, you know, letting it sort of just hang out and ferment and straining. And then um, you know, once you've hit that sort of time marker. You know, I pop it out into a bowl and I like to add a little bit of like lemon juice, um, nutritional yeast, maybe some more salt if it's needed and, you know, mix it to sort of your taste. And then you have the basis for like a nice soft cheese, put it in the fridge. And, you know, I find usually they last in the fridge for around six weeks. Um, and usually if we, if they start to get a little weird, it's usually like they get kind of like a little bit like a pinkish coral sort of color kind of hanging out on the surface. That's usually the kind of their sign that they're on their way out the door. But um, they're these great, you know, great soft cheese. But then you can take that soft cheese and do other processes where um, you can age and harden cheese. You can make it so you can grate it. Um, uh, I've done, you know, beautiful cheeses that sort of resemble like Humboldt fog and have charcoal kind of running um, through the center. And, um, you know, you can roll them into logs, add herbs, do whatever you want to do to them. And um, it's a nice, you know, sort of starting point for making fermented vegan cheeses. Cool. And again, if you guys want to go further down this, um, the Brooklyn Brainery, it's brooklynbrainery.com on Monday, June 8th, 7 to 8.30. Although this is a class that you've been teaching relatively frequently, right? Um, the fermented vegan cheeses. Yeah. Every yeah. once in a while, uh, you know, cool. but we were teaching all kinds of stuff. I have a new workshop. I'm coming up this Sunday called fermented I ice know. cream and popsicles. I'm signing up for it. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be really good. And you know, kimchi and we're doing fermented vegetables. We've been doing fermented hot sauces, um, gluten-free sourdough, dosa, jira. Um, you know, we have a lot of different things. Um, fermented condiments have been really popular right now too, making your own fermented ketchup and pestos. And, you know, now that herb season is here and hot peppers, you know, going into summer, it's like, what a great way to use up, you know, the land, the bounty of the lands and the farmers and all that. For sure. I don't want to move on too fast from the cheese or from the, from the cheese talk you just did. I've got a couple questions to that, but we will cover them just after the break. We'll take a quick break. Thanks for listening to Men About It. Cheryl Passwater, Contraband for Mix. This episode is brought to you by Square. I'm Mary Isaac, co-host of Femen About It. For restaurant, bar, and taproom owners, it's not business as usual right now. As people stay at home, we're all trying to find new ways of staying connected to our customers. At Fifth Hammer Brewing, we had to convert our taproom to a to-go room and move from serving pints to selling four-packs and crawlers to-go. 
If you're a business owner, Square wants to let you know it has tools that can help you shift your business. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery. Square Online Store is free and very quick to set up. I was able to set up our online store within 24 hours of moving to a to-go model. With an online ordering page, you can easily update your menu with descriptions, ingredients, pricing, and more. Really whatever you want, it's fully customizable. You can offer curbside pickup and no contact local delivery. It's also very easy to train your staff on. They will be able to receive, fulfill, and provide your customers with a contactless pickup in no time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash ferment. Welcome back to Ferment About It, episode 249 with Cheryl Passwater of Contraband Ferments. We were talking about nut cheeses, uh, and she just gave us a quick, great rundown. And Cheryl, I've got a couple questions uh, dissecting uh, part of the things in the process. First, you mentioned rejuvelac. I just love saying that word so much, but what is it? And is there a quick one, too, for a home um, re- rejuvelac is just, um, it's sort of like a, uh, the water that's been fermented out of grain is a kind of the easiest way to explain it. Um, you know, I think the more traditional way to do it is, um, barley, but you know, I've done rejuvelac with rice and quinoa and other grains. And, you know, you put up, you know, an inch or two of, of grain in a jar and you cover it well with water and then you let it sit and ferment for, you know, eight to 12 hours and then when that liquid starts to get, um, you know, kind of foggy and cloudy, you strain off the liquid and you add more water to it and covering it really well. Um, you know, I usually do, if I do like an inch or two of grain, I'll make sure I have like two or three inches of water, you know, above the grain. And then you kind of keep repeating that process and you might have to do it three, four or five times. But what you're doing is you're waiting for that cloudiness to sort of um, dissipate and for the liquid to become bubbly. So again, you're just repeating the same thing on the same set of grains where you're sort of covering with water, letting it sit for a few hours, straining it, doing the same thing, straining it until it becomes bubbly and active. And it's a great sort of, uh, you know, neutral way to sort of have a liquid that's fermented and inoculated with microbes. And, you know, then you can use that to you know, jumpstart other ferments. Um, you know, I use it sometimes when I make fermented ketchup, I'll use that as a starter or, um, you know, just depending on what kind of things you're doing. It's really fantastic. It's really versatile. Awesome. I think that, uh, your answer ties into my next question, which was when do you decide? So you said the nuts, you want to leave them to ferment between 24 and 48 hours. And so as a, as a brewer, like we're, you know, we're always, there, there are ways to test when it's done, when it's ready. How do you decide when it's ready or where you want it? Uh, so you just mentioned, you know, by sight and seeing some carbonation, uh, at least in the ju- rejuvelac sense, but how does this relate to the nut portion and when you decide? And how do you know it's working? For you? Well, I think it's different things. I mean, obviously the rejuvelac is going to show you um, more kind of key signs that it's alive, bubbles and stuff like that. But you're using a little bit of that as a starter when you make the cheese and you blend it up. So, you know, because the cheese is like hanging in a nut milk bag and it's sort of tight, um, you know, there's not going to be like a lot of signs of necessarily life, partially because it's nuts um, and partially because it's all tightened up. But, you know, it will get a little bit fluffy. Um, you know, if you open up the nut milk bag, it's like stick your finger in and taste That's it. I'm going <laughs> it's like yeah. a, you know, a really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the longer it ferments, the more sour it's going to get. But, you know, what I find is 
24 to 48 hours is sort of good. And also with this nut milk, you know, this nut cheese is that in the summer when it's insanely hot and humid, um, you know, and not having air conditioning, living in a New York City apartment, um, you know, sometimes that 48 hour period ends up like getting some mold. Um, on the outside of the, you know, of the bag. I don't have problems with it the rest of the year. It's just high, high summer when it's really, really hot. You have to really um, keep an so eye when, on it. Um, so, you know, right. it's like, so, taste, so, taste okay, it. So let's say, you know, tried this <laughs> the first time, but I'm really busy, not used to fermenting so much. And then I get that mold. Uh, how do I know whether it's good mold, bad mold? What do I do at that point? Is is off or not? Do I have to start over? Um, you know, in fermentation, mold does not necessarily mean something is bad. Um, you know, I always tell people in workshops, like step one, red, black, and neon colors equals dead. Don't eat it. Um, but, you know, everything else, blue, green, gray, white, things that grow on bread or cheese, put your depression era <laughs> grandma helmet on and scrape it off until you get to something that looks good. And, you know, and sometimes what I find is like the molds that will grow on the outside at like at the bottom of the bag, um, but not on the inside. And then I just sort of scrape out the inside, you know, the cheese out of the inside of the bag, um, you know, where everything looks good. And, you know, again, I only really have ever had that problem when it's like, you know, New York City, 105 degrees, humidity, you know, terrible, terrible hot summer. Um, and not having air conditioning in my living room or my kitchen, um, you know, does not necessarily help with that. But, um, you know, but usually, you know, in, when it's high summer, heat speeds up fermentation. So you ferment things for a little bit less time. And, you know, sometimes in the winter, I got to go a little bit longer because it's very cold and cold slows down fermentation. So, yeah, you just have to sort of watch for signals and, um, you know, if, scrape it off if it's really funky but it, you know red black and neon colors equal dead so i would just throw away the whole batch if that happens to you um i have not had that happen with cheeses though so um Interesting. yeah and uh, some some ways of preventing that is making sure that you, you if you're using rejuvelac or you're using any probiotics you make sure that you uh, you use enough of them to make sure that the goodies outweigh the baddies yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, adding up, you know, a ton more, you don't need a lot to start the process. And it's real, relatively, you know, doing this initial soft cheese is a short ferment. And so because of that, um, you know, generally, you're not going to get any any kind of weird growth. And I really believe when you do, it's it's just that high heat, high humidity, the microbes can't, you know, they can't right. keep up with the speed. <laughs> right? Oh, that, right that the heat is encouraging yeah i like your phrase uh grant depression era grandma helmet <laughs> so we're in an interesting time of food insecurity uh and you know talk about fermenting in this in the time of food insecurity that we are in during the pandemic yeah <laughs> if that leaves it wide open, Mary, I don't, Mary, Mary has this as a topic for us to go to. But when I think about that, like, what does this make us think of? And like, where where are we going that we haven't gone before a little bit? I mean, you or where are the wise choices to make if we're on a food budget? What are the smart things to do? I mean, that's that's a lot of this fermentation. Yeah, but I also think, fermentation you know, is that preserving vegetables. And yeah, but I think, you know, especially here in New York City, where we have been limit, you know, grocery stores, well, all stores limited. um the number of people that can go inside. So, you know, oftentimes we're waiting in line in order to get in the grocery store. You know, you have to time your grocery store. I think I meant, you know, your grocery store visit very carefully. We're not 
you know, you're not, I don't, like, we're not going to the grocery store and browsing for groceries. Like, you make a list, you get your groceries, and you go. Um, and I think, you know, be- because of that, we, you know, there's a yeast shortage. That's why so many people have, have turned to sourdough. And really, you know, if you go to your grocery store and you're able, we've been stocking up. So buying in bulk, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I buy three giant things of kale and then, you know, I'm freezing some of it or, or you know, I'm, I'm buying lots of vegetables so I can process them and freeze them. And fermentation is one way to preserve the bounty that we get from, you know, either our CSAs or our um, co-op visits or our grocery store visits. And, and I think that's something that people are really exploring these days. And it's a great way to really keep food that has high nutritional quality and is also delicious. Definitely. I mean, this is a subject that overall I feel I've always felt passionate about um, and even more so right now. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of things to look at. It's like, you know, I was, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were just like really negative against all these people who are making sourdough and how many of them after COVID will not keep up with it. And, a this and a that. And I was like, I think it's great when anybody wants to learn something new. Um, but also what I'm seeing with all this newness or this sort of, um, you know, experience that we are all having, which is, you know, a pandemic is that how many people are realizing they don't know how to cook? How many people are realizing that they needed to get back to the root of food? And I think this has been, you know, this was something that was already going on pre-COVID, but now it's bigger, you know, in my eyes. And as somebody who's an advocate for food, um, who cares about food communities and farmers and local farmers, is that more now than ever, this is our opportunity to shift the food system that was already broken and, you know, bluntly very fucked up. (laughs) And so, you know, what better time, you know, it's like when COVID hit, I looked at my partner and I said, I'm going to have to make my classes way cheaper than I normally make them. And I'm going to have to make them some sliding scale because it would be ethically not okay for me to sit on the information and knowledge that I have and not share that. And I believe in my responsibility in the world that I live in and what, doing the kind of work that I do, that part of my responsibility is to be able to bring that to other people. And, um, you know, it's like, what more of an important time to be supporting CSAs and food cooperatives and farmers markets, you know, Grow NYC just got a $250,000 sort of matching, matching grant from Bank of America. Um, so, you know, right now they're taking donations online and Bank of America is going to match up to $250,000 what they raise. But, you know, things that they are doing are making produce boxes for low income, um, you know, neighborhoods, people who have lost their jobs. Like they are jumping in and thinking about food insecurities, CSAs, you know, we're part of a CSA and one of the big conversations that came up in our CSA early on was, okay, how do we, how do we make up for these, you know, people who have lost their incomes? How do we make this attainable for people? And, you know, there is no more of an important and better time for us to be looking to and supporting our local farmers, um, a good food system, um, a system that the government is not supporting, 
<laughs> um, are barely supporting, um, you know, eating real food, you know, like in New York City, 90% of food desert neighborhoods are getting their food from bodegas because the grocery stores can't stay open. And so, you know, and that's a major, we have major food disparities and not just in New York, we're talking all over the country, you know, whether, you know, and all kinds of locations, not just cities. And so, um, you know, to me, it's like, well, how do we bring those food to people? And how do we pe teach people to, you know, blanch their kale and freeze it? <laughs> like Mary was saying, we do the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Or like canning, you know, which is a different process, but a still very important process. You know, this is a time to look back at what have our ancestors always done? How have they taught us? How do we get back to real food, real systems that are better for the environment, better for our health? <laughs> you know, using fermentation, you know, that we can take a cabbage and when we ferment it, we tri triple the nutritional value of that cabbage. You know, I know when I make sauerkraut that I'm tripling the vitamin C, I'm tripling the vitamin K. Sailors used to um, keep sauerkraut on ships and they would feed it to their sailors because they often would get scurvy and scurvy was a vitamin C deficiency. And they knew that sauerkraut would treat the scurvy, you know? <laughs> so it's like, so, you know, I do... Um, you know, not to mention probiotics and microbes and the human microbiome, all these other things, but, you know, and what we know also, um, and, you know, and this is not just like COVID, you know, it's like all illness and disease begins in the gut. And a lot of people walk around with, you know, major nutritional deficiencies that, um, you know, cause disease. So it's like more than ever, you know, being able to preserve our vegetables, ferment hard boiled eggs and have them around, you know, and, having all this, you know, amazing flavor and also like food waste um, being, you know, I love, um, you know, Misfits Market and Imperfect Foods and, you know, sort of these businesses that are thinking about food rescue and food waste. And it's like, you know, the stuff that's bruised up or, you know, it's just on it's sort of on its way out the door. And you're like, I'm not sure if I want to eat that. And I'm like, ferment it, <laughs> just ferment yeah. it. Like yep. we have more than enough food. We are just a society that is like, give me what I want when I want it. I want to have my takeout, you know, snap of a finger, you know, I want what I want when I want it. And it's like, you know, we're all getting a lesson and well, you, but you can't always have what you want all the time. And how can you use what you do have? How do you, um, you know, and, you know, using preservation as part of that. I want to comment on two things. Um, the first thing is Cheryl, that was awesome. Yes, I totally Love agree. You so much. Um, <laughs> right on. I, I want it's so true, now. Though. It's so fucking true. No, yes. It, yes. yes, you're absolutely right. Two <laughs> things is talking talking about you know people having to cook all their meals at home right now, or you know a lot of people are getting takeout and delivery still. But you know, I think the other thing that this can do is have people make give people more of an appreciation for the food that they are buying. Next time you're buying that sourdough bread from your the green market or, you know, that's available at your local grocery store, wherever you're getting it, hopefully, you know, people will now have a much higher appreciation for how much work and passion goes into that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, it is CSA sign-up time in New York City. I don't know if that's the case around the country or wherever you live, but for us in New York City, now is the time, the CSA that we have signed up for. Actually, I didn't do it because I kept procrastinating, but I'm doing it this afternoon. Starts next week on June 3rd, and I think that's pretty typical. So if you are gonna sign up for your summer for a summer CSA, please do so now. They are they are open and and taking uh you know taking signups. And there's lots of other opportunities. You know, it's like um, Iliama Fish Company out of um, 
the West Coast, they do a salmon share in New York City once a year. We always get that. It's enough salmon for us to like kind of live out our year without taking up our whole freezer. Um, you know, and it's very affordable. Growing YC is doing um, fresh food boxes. You know, there's the farmers markets are open. Um, you know, there's so many great ways to source food right now. And, and also on flour, I have to say, like, I've gotten more emails about people are like, I can't get flour. And I'm like, because you just want to buy the crappy flour. Like, find a good mill. Find somebody who's growing non-GMO good flour. You know, it's like, yeah, you're going to pay more, but it's, you know, better for you. So it's like, you know, I love that we don't have to have all this fancy stuff in order to ferment or uh, make great food. It just takes some time. But you know what? Some time is self-care. Yep, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, we wanted to talk. Uh, t- tell us about the Miso Tempeñado book. Yeah, that came out. Oh my yeah. god! Yes, we'll have it. We'll have an episode that's more dedicated to this, so we're not going to get too deep into yeah. that. So, um, I, but what do you have? Yeah, tell us what you have in that book. Yeah, so um, our friends uh, Kirsten Christopher Shockey, um, who are amazing, they um, put out their third book um, last summer called Miso Tempeñado. They have their fourth book coming out soon on cider making, which I'm so excited for. Um, but yeah, miso tempeh natto, um, you know, it's sort of all things, you know, exactly that, you know, bean and green sort of <laughs> ferments, um, shoyus, all kinds of stuff in that book, um, miso bread, you know, whatever. But um, Kirsten had asked me um, to be one of their uh, meet the makers and contributors um, for the book. So I was able to contribute to that, um, which was an honor. Um, so, you know, I had a recipe, you know, basic recipe, um, for our, um, heirloom bean cranberry, um, heirloom cranberry bean miso. And then also for what I call tasty paste or, um, nut and seed based tasty paste. So nut or seed misos. Um, so that was really fun. Also, um, you know, that's a great ingredient that sometimes I use in my fermented vegan cheeses. Um, so miso is a great addition when you're making vegan cheese. And, um, yeah, so I was able to contribute to that book. Um, I'm also going to be in, um, a new book coming out, um, in another year by Dr. Julia Skinner, um, on the sort of the history of fermentation, which I'm really excited to be, um, part of that as well. And yeah, I mean, what an amazing time for, you know, making things. For sure. For sure. I'm going to give a shout out, another shout out to the Shockies because I used their book, Fermented Vegetables, which we have at home to do my, to um, kind of base the chili paste that I made this week, hot chili paste around. And uh, the asparagus that I mentioned earlier, I'm actually going to make some asparagus kimchi, which they had in their book. And then I bought this, I talked about this last week, but I bought the, an arrow garden in this pandemic time and I love it, but I have Thai, thai basil and the Thai basil is going nuts. <laughs> and I was going to make Thai basil uh, lime shortbread with a passion fruit glaze, which I might Ooh. still, but actually I'm going to make Thai basil, uh, fermented Thai basil paste first. Yeah. So I'm going to make that this week and then I can make shortbread next. Week. Yeah. I'm all about that. And so that those that, are my weekly projects. That Thai basil will be really good in some fermented ice cream also. Oh, yes. yes. We've been talking uh, about that. We've been talking about coconut ice cream. All right, I'm making it today the so the Thai basil will be ready for me to go on a Sunday when I sign up for your class. Oh, right. my God. Yeah. It's so good. I'm so. <laughs> I might have to come get some from you. I haven't been able to hunt that any down yet. So we could do a little, we miss little, you. a little plant trade. I know. Social distancing. I am. <laughs> yes. Although I don't, you know, it is an arrow garden, so it is small. I mean, it's still a lot. Of, it's a good Thai basil for me, but I am actually going to set up a larger hydroponic. Um, yeah. garden because we don't have any outdoor space or even a balcony or anything 
So I am, I have grow lights on the way. So I'm going to set up and Thai basil is definitely something that I'm going to grow. So I will have an abundance at some point. Yeah, we'll do a trade because we actually have a, we have a veg box. We have a hydroponic um, grow light system as well in our apartment. And so I've got lots of tomato plants and all kinds of stuff growing. So yeah. Ah, perfect. Also, got very nerdy. Although I will say, (laughs) I I might do uh, some kind of trade with you or, or a purchase of, I don't have a kombucha or water kefir. Do you? And I bet you have water kefir grains. I think that's another I thing I'd both. like to get restarted. I, ha- I okay. probably so have all I'm the things you need. <laughs> yeah, that's what okay. I figured. So let's talk because I would love yeah. to. Um, I think I want to get some water kefir going. Absolutely. For I'm sure. Water kefir. Anti- yeah. Yeah. Kefir. We also, you know, now we have a car. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's easy to. The do. magic of transportation in New York City. We had to. Well, Cheryl, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, God. Thank you. For episode 249 and being our awesome guest, awesome friend, and awesome co-host occasionally with us here on Ferment About It. We missed this and we're excited to get back into it. And uh, and I can't wait for NYC Ferments to start start meeting up again. And We're meeting online while COVID yeah, is happening. And so, yep. yeah, um, next Monday, well, June 1st, next NYC Fermentation Meetup. So 7 p.m. Now. Now that it's an online meetup, is this kind of like open to the world if they wanted to like kind of peer into NYC ferments? I guess so. Discuss it at the next meeting. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a fermented frozen treats fest. Okay, awesome. I'm into this. Um, and, and actually, I'm not, I can do, I haven't been able to because I've been working Mondays in our to-go room, but I actually will be able to join this Monday. So I'm super excited. Also, for all of our listeners out there, we would like to hear from you. What are you fermenting during quarantine? What fermented foods are you cooking with or snacking on? Or what fermented foods are you aspiring to do? We have a new Google voice number that you can leave a message on, and we are going to play these in the coming weeks and probably for, you know, ongoing. Um, Our number is 917-409-8704. Again, that is 917-409-8704. Please call and leave us a message. What are you fermenting during quarantine? What fermented foods are you cooking with or snacking on? And uh, and we'd love you, you. We might play them in the in the next few weeks. Right. Thank you so much for listening. And find Cheryl Passwater at contrabandferments.com. Yep. Thanks, Cheryl. Cheers. Ferment about it. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.